0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Good evening, everyone. It's good to be in the house of God. I I know that you're probably in your living room or uh, some other place, but wherever two or three are gathered together, even in spirit, I, I would imagine that God is in the midst of them. I um, would just like to take a little time with you tonight and talk about a topic that has really uh, affected me, and I, it's it's a topic we've covered many times from this pulpit, and you've probably heard many sermons on it, but I want to use this along with uh, some of the current events that are going on in our world. I, I want to start by going back to our New Testament and Paul writes the same thing in three different areas in the epistles, in his writings. And I I want to start with these three thoughts. They're all the same thought, and they didn't necessarily originate with him. Example, let me give you Romans 1 and 17. He writes to the Roman church, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now he writes to the Galatians church in the third chapter, verse 11, and he says this. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It's evident. For the just shall live by by faith, And then again, in the book of Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 38, he says this, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Of course, we know that Paul was a devout follower of the Old Testament or of the law. And I have no doubt in my mind this quote comes from the prophet Habakkuk, who used these same words in Habakkuk, the second chapter, verse 4. He writes this, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So maybe for us to understand the meaning of these familiar words, we need to go back to their origin. We need to go back and maybe look and see what was Habakkuk trying to express? What was he going through? What were the events in his life that caused him to pen the words, now the just shall live by faith? I truly believe that Paul was experiencing on the horizon the same thing that Habakkuk was. Paul saw the same thing happening in the church's future and uses the same uh, word description. Let me give you an example. Let's go back to Habakkuk, the third chapter, and I'm going to read from verse 16 to verse 19. God is revealing his plan for judgment. And these are the words that are written. And they're written by Habakkuk. When I heard my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with troops. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And then he says this, I will take joy in the God of my salvation God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the ears, he makes me tread on my high places. Now, what is actually happening at the time that Habakkuk writes his his book? Well, we know that there's going to be an invasion, an impending invasion. It happens around six oh five BC. Um, there's actually two waves in that invasion. The first wave is in 605 BC, the second wave is in 586 BC, where Jerusalem and Judah as a nation fall. It's interesting to note that when Babylon came down in their first wave, they set up a king to rule the land they conquered. His name was King Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim rebelled against Babylon. And when he rebelled about in in that he would not pay tribute to Babylon any longer, Babylon came down and took control of the whole nation of Judah and destroyed Jerusalem. It seems that Jehoiakim, as well as the Jews that were in Judah, had forgotten just roughly 90 years earlier the fall of Israel. Remember how the Assyrians came down against Israel? Israel, as they had fallen into sin, and they went into captivity in 721 BC. So it's roughly only about a hundred years between these two events. I guess Judah could not see the writing on the wall. Unless they repented, they would follow in Israel's footsteps. It seems uh, what Habakkuk describes in, in in the nation of Judah in his writing, he describes a very low time spiritually in their history. Every man seemed to do what was right in his own eyes and sin was rampant and visible and uncontrolled. In the beginning of the book, of Habakkuk, he initiates a conversation with God based on his distress about God's inaction in what was going on. In other words, wickedness was running rampant. It was completely uncontrolled. He was wondering, where was God in all of this? Why didn't God play an active role in what was going on? Why didn't he stop it? He wanted God to do something in the area of injustice from evildoers. Now, when you read the book of Habakkuk, you're going to find a picture of a frustrated prophet. He's much like Jonah, though Habakkuk differs with him in the sense that he channeled his frustration into prayers. And eventually into praise i want you to see the transformation question leads to frustration and then eventually turns to praise and trust rather than trying to run from the lord as jonah did habakkuk stayed and tried to understand As, as the prophet Habakkuk, and if you could go back and read some of the history during that time, as he stood in Jerusalem and pondered the state of the nation of Judah, he must have just stood there dumbfounded. Can, can, can you relate to that? Is it possible that you, like I, tonight, I stand dumbfounded when I look at the things that are going ar- along uncontrolled in our nation? When I see sin completely out of control. When I see how evil thrives and there's no justice completely out in the open. No one's even trying to hide the sin. And then like Habakkuk, I wonder wonder why God is so strangely silent. Where is he? And I uh, Habakkuk says, how long are you going to allow this mess to continue? I truly believe tonight that history repeats itself. Let me give you, in Israel's case, here's a typical, very short scenario. God blesses, man rejects God and turns to his idols and other nations of the nations and then God sends judgment upon their sin, and then they go into captivity. That that scenario played over and over throughout the entire Old Testament. And now I see in the country that I live, I see how God has blessed our country, how he's given us freedoms, and now as a nation... We are turning our backs on God and following the way of humanism. Now, Jesus speaks to his followers in the New Testament about not just the fall of Jerusalem that was going to take place in 70 AD when the Roman general Titus comes in and he destroys Jerusalem again. But Jesus speaks to our generation. He speaks to you And he speaks to me. Let me read from Luke, the 21st chapter, verse 25. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, dismay among the nations, bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the surging of the waves. Men will faint from fear and anxiety over what is coming Upon the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to happen, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing nigh. What Christ has shared with his followers and with our generation is there's going to be great anxiety. There's going to be great stress among nations, but there's coming a day when he will come back with judgment and you every eye will see him coming in the clouds with great power and great glory. So he reminds me, he reminds you that he has not forgot about us. He's not aware of what's going on On earth, he's completely aware. And he's warned us in advance of what we will experience and what we will see. Now, Jesus actually talks about this earlier in this chapter as well in Luke 21. If I go back to the 10th verse, notice what he tells them, his disciples. Then he told them, nation will rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom, there will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places, along with fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before this, they will seize you, and they will persecute you. On account of my name, they will deliver you to the synagogues and prisons." and they will bring you before kings and governors. This, notice this now, what it says in verse 13, this will be your opportunity. Don't look at it as a a trial or something bad. He says this will be your opportunity to serve as witnesses. I want you to underline that. Because we need to change how we view the time we're living in. This is the church's opportunity to serve as witnesses. And then in verse 14, So make up your mind not to worry beforehand how to defend yourselves. Have you thought about that? What am I going to do if they come for me? He says don't worry beforehand. For I will give you speech and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Let's go back and look at Habakkuk a little bit closer. I want to go back to the first chapter. I want to go right to the first verse. Habakkuk is going to question God's judgments. He says in verse 1, it's the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. And he asked God a question, a question we are all asking in our generation. He asked him this question. Verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry to you, violence! Violence! And you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. You couldn't, every time you turn on your radio, every time you might look at a TV set and see the news, what do you see? Plundering, violence all around us. There is strife and contention arising. Therefore, the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. It seems like that the wicked are overriding the liberty of the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgments proceed." Now, in verse 5, the Lord answers Habakkuk. And let's just read that. I'm going to read a few verses here in verse, chapter 1, verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. And then he says this, For I will work a work in your days. I want you to listen to me tonight. He's speaking to our generation as well as he was speaking to Habakkuk's. For I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and nasty nation. Those people that you see, they're rising up. They march through the breadth of the earth to possess a dwelling place that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. What's he saying there? They're a God unto their own selves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves, Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. And notice this next verse. Why are they coming? They all come for violence. That's why they're there. It's not that they're fighting for some great cause. They have all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand every time I turn on the radio again. I hear the NBA's not playing tonight because of something that happened in our state of Wisconsin, in the city of Kenosha. They gather followers to their cause. They scuff at kings, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold. What does that mean? They deride... The law, those principles that have been established in our nation, they deride them, every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God, or to his own ability, to his own cause. Now, what we're going to look at now in chapter 1 verse 12 is this is Habakkuk's second complaint. I'm starting in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my holy one? We shall not die. O Lord, you've appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. Your eye, You are of pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Here's the question. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no rule over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore they rejoice and they're glad. Therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. Because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue To slay nations without pity, they have no pity. And here's God's response, and I'm going to read that from uh, from my Bible here. It's a little longer, and it's in chapter two, verse two to verse twenty. So now God responds to to Habakkuk's second question. Then the Lord answered me and said write the vision, and make it plain on tablets. He's telling him, (laughs) write it all down, which, of course, we're we're reading this, we understand that he did. That he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Did you catch that? For that vision is, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. Not right now, but for an appointed time. But at the end of it, it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith." Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he's a proud man and he does not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all people. Will not all these things take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, whoa, To him who increases what is not his, how long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you and you will become their booty? Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. Because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it, woe to him who covets evil, gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul, For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people labor to feed the fire, and nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord." "'as the water covers the sea. "'Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, "'pressing him to your bottle, "'even to make him drunk, "'that you may look on his nakedness. "'You are filled with shame instead of glory. "'You also drink and and be exposed as uncircumcised. "'The cup of the Lord's right hand "'will be turned against you, "'and utter shame will be on your glory.' For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. What profit is the image that its marker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. Woe to him who says to the wood, Awake! To silent stone arise, I shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in there is no breath at all. In other words, looking to man-made gods, man-made establishments, and forgetting the creator and founder of all things. Now we're going to look at the prayer after this, I know I'm not going to read, uh, I'm going to continue to go into the third chapter. Habakkuk now uh, writes this O Lord, I've heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make it known. Then he says, in wrath, remember mercy. God shows forth his power through his anger. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence and never followed "'And fever followed at his feet. "'He stood and measured the earth. "'He looked and startled the nations, "'and the everlasting mountains were scattered. "'The perpetual hills bowed. "'His ways are everlasting. "'Your bow was made quite ready. "'Oaths were sworn over your, your arrows.' You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went, and the shining of your glittering spear, you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people. For salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from the foundation to the neck. Notice what he says in verse 13. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed not by himself but it says here he went with his anointed i want you to know tonight that we play a part in what's going on this is not some tragic event that we're all fearing and and running to hide in caves to escape this is a time when god is going to bring us forth to stand firm against wickedness and evil we are not by ourselves. We work in union with God and with his spirit. And then, this is the conclusion in chapter 3, verse 17 to chapter 19. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Now, I want to stop there. I want you to understand that Habakkuk is writing from a way of what they considered prosperity. We, it wasn't that they had IRAs or the stock market. They didn't have Chase Bank and all these other banks that they had their wealth in. Their wealth was in their fields. Their wealth was in their flocks. They live by the fruit of the olive and the vines. So what Habakkuk is really saying, even though the economy falls apart, even though everything turns upside down and it looks desperate all around me, this is what I will do. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me to walk on my high hills. Now, remember where we started? Let's go back to where we started tonight. When I talk about faith, I'm not talking about a denomination, like my faith is Pentecostal. I'm talking about a lifestyle. Faith is not just the word. Faith is the way that God intends us to live. Now, I find it very interesting when I go back and look at the chapter on faith, and Paul writes it in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I like in verse 11 how he starts out, and I actually would have put a comma there after the first two words. Now, faith. Look at that. Just look at those two words. Not present faith or past faith, but now faith. Faith in the present as well as the future and built upon the victories of the past. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. Faith is not based solely upon what you see. Matter of fact, it's not based on anything that you see. The evidence of things not seen. It's based on on what you cannot see. Through faith, we understand. I, I stopped here too. Through faith, I understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In other words, the things that I see all around me, the things that I think are solid and material, they're made of things that are invisible. They came out of nothing. Technically, if you want to look at it in a scientific way, even this pulpit that I put my hand on tonight is made up of molecules. Atoms and protons and electrons spinning around, all little tiny objects in motion, but yet it feels solid, even though it's in motion. All the things that I see in my life are brought together by the command and the power of God. You know, faith provides understanding. Faith is built on the premise of invisible things. You know, for instance, I can stand outside and and look at the trees outside our window, and I can see them move. I can't see what's pushing the limbs, because the wind is invisible. No man can see it. You might see the dust that's in the wind But no one sees the wind. It's made of of invisible molecules. But yet it moves things that are visible. The invisible things are seen clearly by the things that are. When I see a church and I see a worshiping church, I can testify that the wind of God's spirit is moving the heart to lift its voice to God. I can see the evidence of the invisible through the visible. In the eighth verse of Hebrews 11, I just want to look at Abraham. We call him the father of the faithful. But why is he called that? Well, let's, let's look at something might, that might have qualified him for that title. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Isn't that interesting? Abraham, God was speaking to him, I'm going to give you a land that you've never seen. You don't even know where it is. I'm going to lead you to it and then I'm going to show it to you. He went out not even knowing where he went. All he had was a promise, something in the future. But what made him great is he left everything behind. He left all that was familiar, his job, his home, his family and because of a promise of something he'd never even seen or visited before he left everything behind he did that through faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for it's the evidence of things not seen God has given you and I a promise he is not negligent or ignorant of what's going on in our country our states our cities or even our world he is not slow to pass judgment but he spoke through Habakkuk to our generation to tell us that there's coming a day when judgment shall come and yes there might be a time when the stalls are empty And the vines do not not produce fruit. There may be a time when the economy struggles and falls apart under the judgments that are coming upon the earth. But he says to you, and he says to I, remember, I am coming, and my anointed with me. And we need to do like Habakkuk and rejoice even amidst calamity. For that's the will of God we are made to be courageous you and I were left here to lead the way we are in a type warriors on the front And the only way that we're going to stand amidst this adversity is to stand on our knees. We are seeing churches closed. We are seeing large fines placed upon congregations. We find instances where people are being forbid to worship, to lift their voices in song. The Lord told us that the day would come before his return that they would stand against the church. Now is the time for you and I to stoke the fires of our faith with the hope that is to come because we are more than conquerors through him. I'd like to thank you for bearing with me tonight. I know I've read a lot of scripture from the book of Habakkuk but I want you to understand, many of you may have never even opened that book before. This may be the first time you've ever heard of a prophet named Habakkuk. But Habakkuk wrote his book for such a time as this. He had the same questions that we had. And God is giving him the same answer that he's giving us tonight. Hold on, for he is coming. Remember that old song, and I know this is the, I always seem to do this, but every time when I close, I remember an old song. It's just, I don't know. But it's this song. Hold the fort, for I am coming, Jesus answers still. In other words, not only hold the fort, and the fort or the fortress that we live in is our holiness. It's who we are. It's our identity. Hold on to those things which have been delivered into your hand for the Lord is coming and with him is his hand of judgment upon the world and all its wickedness. But unto those that look for him a second time will he appear to them and it will be joy to us. All right, thank you. And I'm gonna just say a quick prayer in closing. Lord Jesus, I I pray that some of the things that I might have shared tonight, some of the things that you placed on my heart have carried over into the hears of this message and into their heart. I pray that there would be a spirit of encouragement, not in, just inside of our heart, but in the way... Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and we'll continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262 965 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.